Good evening and welcome to the Independent News Hour. I'm your host, John Tarleton, Editor-in-Chief of the Independent, New York City's lefty newspaper and website, online at independent.org. That's I-N-D-Y-P-E-N-D-E-N-T dot O-R-G. And I'm joined by my co-host, Amba Gagarian. Hi, John. It's great to be here with you and welcome to all of our listeners on 99.5 FM and streaming on WBAI.org. Yes, and we have a fantastic show today. We're going to, uh, we're going to look uh, back at two very exciting gatherings, massive gatherings this weekend that brought together thousands of organizers for economic justice from across the country. One was in Washington, D.C., where the Poor People's March uh, rallied on Saturday and continued to hold events over the rest of the holiday weekend. And in Chicago, uh, a historic Labor Notes conference of uh, rank-and-file uh, self-described troublemakers in the labor movement who have been uh, propelling much of the organizing uh, that has been taking place over the last year that has really uh, energized uh, so many people, the Amazon labor unions, Starbucks, and and many others. So we're going to hear about both of those events later on. We'll talk uh, with an organizer from uh, the Reclaim Pride Coalition that is organizing the fourth annual Queer Liberation March, which will take place this upcoming Sunday and later in the show also I have some of the latest news from uh, uh, the electoral world. The Democratic primaries are one week from today here in New York and there are a number of uh, left candidates that are challenging machine incumbents. So, so we'll talk a little bit about that uh, toward the end of the show. But Amba, you were at the Poor People's March in Washington, D.C. on uh, on Saturday, both as a, a, a participant, a, a reporter and uh, everything else, uh, can you uh, uh, tell us a little bit about what that was like? And uh, uh, yet, yeah, uh, uh, take it away. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks. So it was great to be there on Saturday in D.C. Um, as a part of basically the Moral Monday movement with tens of thousands of others um, gathering for the poor people's low and wage workers assembly and moral march. So really it was um, a a short march, but mostly an assembly that lasted about six hours over the course of the day um, on Saturday on Pennsylvania Ab Avenue. And, um, you know, represented and present were members from sort of a slew of organizations on the left organizations that involve sort of poor people, uh, workers, Tons of unions are represented. We had uh, the homeless union as well. So unions beyond just uh, people employed at a certain place. We have the poor workers union, um, United Assembly of, of uh, the, the U.S. I could go on um, immigrant groups, anti-war groups, um, socialist groups, communist groups. And um, they were all led uh, by speakers um, on a main stage there on Pennsylvania Ave. And they had speakers uh, who had sort of witnessed some level of poverty in the last two years, particularly under under COVID. Um, People sharing stories about the nation's failure to respond to COVID, uh, people growing up in rural communities, people who are struggling for workplace rights, the need for better health care, sort of the vast needs of, uh, the growing and growing uh, economically poor working class. Um, and so it was 
beautiful to see all those people gathered there. And while we were listening to the speakers, we were listening to the people on stage and we were listening to some of the more prominent faith leaders like Reverend Barber and uh, Cornell West and other labor leaders. You know, people were there talking, sharing ideas, sharing information, demanding these legislative demands, but really demanding action. And there was a very general message of there is energy to capitalize on here among poor people and workers all across the U.S., across the world, also because there are people representing, you know, mm-hmm. people from Honduras, El Salvador, Central America. And uh, this is the moment, and we need to go back from, from this meeting and then continue to organize in our communities and continue to fight for justice because I heard so many people saying we really are starting to feel like we have nothing to lose. Right. And this is our last faith in democracy is what I was hearing from even the people on the stage, maybe the people in the crowd I was hearing more like, we're ready, man. This is when you were describing it to me, it sounded like people were more focused on what they could learn from each other than what they were at necessarily asking of our leaders in Washington, DC. And, Wait, oh, and I was also struck by how this uh, sounds like the kind of uh, protests we used to have uh, before the COVID pandemic. So many people gathering it face to face, from all over the country uh, to share with each other. I think it was one of the first really like long-term organized marches on Washington, not maybe a spontaneous response to a political decision. Right. Um, Since post COVID, I mean, I've been involved in tons of spontaneous actions since COVID with lots of people, but it did feel like, we're waking up out of these bubbles and we're ready to do something. And the crowd was, I kind of already said, you know, there's people from all different groups and maybe the age could have been skewed a little bit younger, but it was extremely diverse um, array of people from generally non-privileged backgrounds in the United States, which is, you know, the majority of, of the citizens of the people who live here. Um, but I spoke with, you know, people from some of these different groups. And I'm going to play two voices here. Um, and, and they're different voices coming from different sort of branches of representatives. But you, you'll see why I'm playing both just to show that it was really a struggle, um, a moment of struggle, it felt, you know, but of, of positive solidarity. Right on. So uh, we have this sought here. We have our audio clip um, ready to go. You got all these people, and these are basically low-wage people, and they realize that they have the power now. They can force this, and yeah, that is something different now than what it was before, because they didn't, it was almost like we are at the bottom, where can we go but up? And I am, you're 25, I'm 67. I am a child of the civil rights era, and I'm from the South, Alabama. So at that point, it was like, what do we have to lose? We are already at the bottom with black people. So all we could do was we had to fight, and that's what we did. And I think that's what it is happening now. But it's on the economic scale, and so much, not so much as for the voters, right, which we need that too. But it's because the people are there. They have children. They're not going to take and stay at this place again where they can go somewhere else. And that's what's scaring a lot of employers to now. We're here in solidarity with people in the world who struggle against, struggle against U.S. sanctions and military policies that 
and uh, destroy their their whole lands, really, and we're resisting all forms of occupation. I think Cuba, for example, there's a naval uh, base in Guantanamo that's been illegally occupied for, for 115 years. And there's also the embargo, a series of sanctions that inflict uh, irreparable harm and damage on the Cuban people. And the only one that's guilty is the U.S. government for maintaining this retrograde, immoral, and effective policy for over 60 years. And so with Belly of the Beast, we stand in solidarity with the people and the movements here in the United States who are fighting for the same things that the people in Cuba have been able to struggle to gain. Well. We know that person was saying something important. Yes. So first we heard from a member of Poor People's Campaign in in Texas, um, Joyce, and then uh, we heard from Lee of the Belly of the Beast, which is a great podcast on Cuba. I suggest everybody listen to it and you could hear a lot from him and you could imagine why these people fighting, you know, to to bring down the sanction, to bring down sanctions all over the world, to end the war movement, to, to make a movement for for the masses would be yeah, all these wars cost a lot of money wars are so that was the big slogan of the anti-war contingent you know divest in war and invest in the poor but um you know i'll just say that it really did feel like an assembly and and that was great but now i'm gonna slightly pivot to some exciting related news that i'd like to share with those who haven't yet heard um and it's related because it, this is a success for the masses and a success for workers and poor people, absolutely. Um, in Colombia, Gustavo Petro won the presidential election in a historical vote because he was a former M-19 guerrilla and the former mayor of capital city of Colombia, Bogota. And Petro will become Colombia's first, that's the first in 200 years, leftist president. And he ran on a platform to combat worsening inequality with landmark policies, including higher taxes on the rich and expanded pensions. This will be an uphold uphill battle for sure, um, but it's good news. And his running mate, the Afro-Colombian environmentalist Francia Marquez Mina, will be the first black vice president of Colombia. And they defeated right-wing businessman Rodolfo Hernandez in an election that saw Colombia's highest ever voter turnout. So this is a victory for the mass, mass poor movement of Colombia. Uh, and we are going to go to a voice recording from my friend Eban, who uh, is working and living in Colombia right now about just what the energy is like there and, and, and uh, what, you know, what it means to, to, to the people there. I think the, um, the feeling here is quite incredible. I mean, people were celebrating late into the night, early into the day, uh, especially here in Cali. And, you know, Valle del Cauca, where Cali is, was, uh, just overwhelmingly in support of the Pacto Historico, as well as Cauca. So here people were out in the streets, people were screaming from their houses, uh, uh, you know, just, uh, ecstatic at the results. I think a lot of people just couldn't believe it. You know, I mean, it's, uh, this is a country in which there's been 200, over 200 years of just right-wing hegemony in terms of electoral politics. Uh, so to break that is no small feat. And to do it in such a way, you know, building just grassroots democracy from below, 
um, the regions really coming into play in this election, regions that had been for years uh, subject to like, the worst kinds of violence from uh, the armed conflict. You saw images of uh, indigenous folks in Santa Marta, you know, walking miles to vote, people in the Naya River, uh, you know, piling onto small boats, uh, traveling for hours into the rivers to go to vote, you know. So it's this amazing kind of explosion uh, of democracy uh, from uh, from below, like I said, and, and people who, who had previously kind of been written off, uh, like indigenous and Afro-Colombian communities in the periphery that really came into play and made their voices heard. Right, so that was Evan King in Cali, Colombia, reflecting on Sunday's historic election victory for the left in that country. And when we come back, we're going to hear from two New York labor organizers who just returned from the Labor Notes Conference in Chicago, which had its largest ever turnout this weekend amid a surge in new union organizing across the country. And uh, we will be right back. <laughs> 